Enterprise Management 360, your main source for tech news, analysis, podcasts, and videos for the enterprise. Hello, and welcome to this EM360 podcast. I'm Scott Taylor, the Data Whisperer, and I'm delighted to be your host for this podcast today. I'm the principal consultant at MetaMeta Consulting. We help organizations tell their data story by reinforcing the strategic value of proper data management. In this podcast, I'll be joined by Christian Lutz, founder, president at Crate.io, and Bernard Zimmerman, director, business development, and partner at Zuka Group. We're going to be discussing the challenges of digital disruption and transformation. Gentlemen, how are you doing today? Christian, how are you? I'm very well, thank you, and I'm excited to be here on your show. Well, welcome, and Bernard, how are you doing? Yeah, fine, thank you, and I'm excited to be on this uh, podcast. Thank you. Super. Well, let's just jump right in here. In order to give some context to our listeners, can you explain how the partnership between Crate.io and Zuka came about? Yes, of course. Uh, so uh, we at Zuka have a long history in the industry sector, uh, especially with the developing products and, of course, digital ecosystems. And this is mainly always combined with Internet of Things solutions. And therefore, we noticed that uh, several use cases uh, out there, which needs, let's call it a high performance and scalable database uh, to store the data. Uh, and we here at Zülke always love to partner with very innovative technology providers uh, who can solve challenges with use cases, um, which haven't been possible before. Uh, and of course, uh, Crate.io and Zülke are in the, based in the same country uh, in beautiful Austria. Christian, how about from your perspective? Yeah, I mean, adding to that, for us, we're, we're obviously a kind of a tool for data, and we provide uh, the engine, and for the success, it's relevant that people are deploying use cases on it, and people need to be hand-holded often on this, and uh, concepts have to be made, and um, integrations have to be done, and here, Zulk is a perfect partner for us uh, to make sure that engine gets deployed properly. So it seems like a natural partnership here, working with, with joint clients and so on. That's, that's great. Can you, can you talk to us a little bit about how you see data today as the new currency from a digital ecosystem perspective? Yes, of course. So um, I think the majority of the disruptive players out there in the market um, have data really at their heart. So they recognize uh, that it is their most valuable asset and are adept at working with this high velocity and high volume data. So they mastery of specific skills, tools, and of course the mindset uh, required to drive out the value from, from this data. And I think uh, what I also want to mention is that the concept of data-driven companies, I think from my point of view, is really key in realizing uh, the value from, from data. Uh, which means that uh, data needs uh, to influence every area of operation and innovation. So the journey to being a data-driven organization uh, requires tools, techniques, and this is also critical, a real common language, so data literacy, for example. Uh, and this allows you to propagate it uh, within the organization. Common language is, leads to common understanding. I'm a big fan of that foundational, structured version of the truth across an organization can't work technology without it christian how about you on this uh, digital ecosystem perspective we all tend to think that we're already deep into these uh, 
data collection times and, and explosion of data, but really this is just the very early beginning and uh, it will be just exploding further down the road. And I think um, the, the, the challenge lies into um, not only collecting the data and, and um, but, but really applying models uh, that allow you to extract maximum value out of it and to have um, a programmatic way to do that. And um, this, I think, is the big challenge and the big opportunity for anybody in this whole ecosystem. I haven't heard anybody predict there's going to be less data in the future. That's for sure. So we've got to be ready to manage it <laughs> yeah. and drive that business value around protecting and growing and improving a business. That's for sure. So when you talk about the collection of data and how we make use of it, what are the benefits and issues you see from machine learning and, and AI models? Yeah, so the whole AI topic is, a, in a way, a much-hyped world. On the other hand, we're, we're really in the beginning of it, um, in deploying it at scale. And I think it's a very crucial strategy companies have to develop how they put AI into their mindset, in their strategies, where they invest money, and um, how they build their teams around that. And the collection of data is, of course, the, the utmost resource that you need in order to uh, implement AI strategies, AI models. And, um, and so you have to develop as a company uh, these um, data first and the AI first thinking models as otherwise the competitive advantages, advantages that you have as a, as a business will erode and somebody else will take it over. And uh, we're uh, coming now into a few decades of um, AI being at the center of um, extracting value automatically and as, as a next level of what you can do uh, with data. The issues around that, of course, are with acceptance and understanding that you need different teams, you need different management styles, you need different type of people. They're difficult to hire. Um, I think that's kind of the challenge for all of us um, as we move forward. You know, building on that a little bit, what, what are some of those characteristics of the people that people that folks should be looking for to really leverage AI in the future? Yeah, I think AI and uh, especially machine learning, I think from my point of view, uh, the base for various use cases in the industry. So um, let's think about uh, video analytics, for example. Uh, we're using it for quality assurance. So, for example, to identify uh, scratches uh, on the surface or like this, or even to assist uh, with automatic object recognition, um, which normally supports your maintenance processes, for example. So the automatic... Uh, identification of a defective component and of course the linkage to a part number is something which can be done with machine learning. So from my point of view the benefits for using this technology is really huge uh, and I think it's also now well adapted in the industry but the, the really issue I see at the moment with machine learning is how you put this technology into production. So what we see is that machine learning operationalization is uh, the next logical step for a company if you're already into the machine learning uh, technology. Because uh, machine learning operationalization is um, all about how to put this technology into production, but in an automatic uh, way. 
So I always compare this machine learning uh, organization with continuous integration and continuous delivery in the software development. And this machine learning operationalization is CICD from my point of view for the machine learning world. Bernard, you mentioned you have to hire and look for a different kind of person to really be able to leverage a lot of these benefits of AI and some of the things you've been talking about. What are the characteristics of those people? What should leaders be looking for in the future? I think uh, leaders should look in the future for people who can really put this technology into production. Because uh, what we see at our customers is that um, most of them hired data scientists, so they know very well how to use this technology to, to make the best uh, use case out of it. But the real challenge is how to put this into production. So you need uh, people who are not only a good data scientist, mathematics or something in, in this area, but you need guys who can um, also build up a tool chain to operationalize um, these machine learning topics. You're right. And whether it's guys or gals here, putting it into production is what it's all about. A lot of people spend probably a disproportionate amount of time on kind of the POC, the Petri dish version. But you got to keep your eye on how does this scale? How do we really operationalize this, as both of you said, to drive the business in a systematic and repeatable basis to go for that scale? You know, kind of shifting a little bit, can you provide us and talk a little bit about the benefits that time series databases bring to an organization? Sure. Um, so if you look though, a little bit back in history, companies were running mainly one big database system that just did it all. And over the years, and especially now with this acceleration of data explosion, some tactical technologies um, have grown and time series is one of those and it makes total sense to combine these database technologies with other databases so this is the future and especially enabled through cloud SaaS services you can just easily entertain and and operate a multitude of databases that perfectly fit each use case and the benefits for a time series database especially when it allows you to combine it with uh, relational data is that in the production world, in the just uh, anything that has to do with uh, Internet of Things in the industrial context, but also in the consumer context, you have huge volumes of time series events that you have to correlate with maybe a product info, a production info, um, a logistics info. And you can now bring these together, these complex chasen trees of time series uh, data with other relational data and then do real-time decisions on that. It allows you to monitor a data stream and identify a problem in time or predict a trend over time and then to alert something, to react, uh, to push out notifications or to shut down even the system. And doing this with real-time analytics based on time series, and that means this data stream, but also large historical data sets, this is where you can extract those benefits for your uh, company. Bernard, anything you want to add to that? Yes, I, I totally agree with, with Christian. So database or time series databases are relevant for specific use cases, like especially in the Internet of Things area, uh, where you have a lot of sensors uh, with with a lot of high volume uh resolution sensor information. So th this means these high resolution sensors can send up to 1000 messages uh, per second. 
And therefore, you need a database who can handle this high volume. And these time series databases are the right thing uh, to do with it. And I think it's one of the most relevant and also critical building blocks uh, within a digital ecosystem. Especially when it comes, as you mentioned, as you both mentioned, in the IoT, you know, that Internet of Things of everything connecting to everything else when it should. That's my one sentence description of the business requirements there. But there's so much benefit and new value coming out of that when these machines can really understand and, and, and share what's going on. Can you talk a little bit, either of you, about a maybe a story from a customer, you don't have to name any names if you don't want to, where you've seen some of this put into play? Yes, of course, um, because uh, this, especially this IoT, this Internet of Things uh, topics are mostly combined also with customer portals, for example, which is normally the base for modern customer experiences. So the customers uh, more and more interact uh, in a digital way with companies. Uh, they want to order products online. They want to use a digital service in cooperation with a physical device, for example, they ordered. And uh, you also talked about a, a specific example. Uh, we also have had a, have a customer who is dealing with water treatment systems for houses, uh, which they are normally installed in, in the cellar of a house. And uh, normally as a householder, you want to know uh, when you have to service it. So, which means you have to refill uh, the system with, with salt. And in an ideal world, the system is connected with an application uh, which informs you, or maybe you want to know it in advance when you have to refill it, because now we are on, uh, there's holiday, vacation time, and maybe you want to do it in advance. And therefore, you maybe ask Alexa, uh, how is the, uh, the fill stand uh, of this um, water treatment system? And if you think uh, this use case further, uh, there is also an uh, ABO service where the system automatically is ordering uh, the right amount of salt, and then it is automatically del delivered to your house. And this is a classical um, use case where you have a digital ecosystem combined with IoT, customer portals, and of course, with other services like voice recognition, as I mentioned, for example, Alexa, uh, and of course, applications which you develop uh, to give the right digital service to your customer. And also to be, I think, hopefully the most innovative uh, company out there, because you deliver digital services which haven't been on the market before. And such digital ecosystems uh, enable you to develop these services very fast. Yeah, I can add to that um, by mentioning a customer that is in CPG, consumer packaged goods, and is producing drinks. And they have a filling line uh, that produces 120,000 cans per hour, 24-7. And each can has a multitude of sensor data readings. And you can imagine, um, and they have multiple lines also. Uh, so this is a huge volume of timestamped data, so-called time series data. And for the producer, it's extremely critical to be very close to this um, data and to make real-time analytics on that data. So not just, obviously, when there's an error in the production machine, this, this would anyway show up, but this is about the historic collection of that data. And to look ahead, if you see problems building up and make um, data-driven decisions, that allow you to minimize waste and outage. And um, that's, um, that's a very 
good use case and a very rewarding use case, a very high return on investment actually, if you just avoid um, a stoppage of these lines through predicting the issues. Absolutely. Both of these examples are clear, you know, predictive maintenance and figuring out things before they happen, anticipating the issues before you've got to do that other work, a lot more value preventing it rather than fixing it later. I think a lot of people can relate to that no matter if it's in your house with a water treatment or you're running a factory floor, this kind of application's got value everywhere. Let's shift kind of to, to the cultural challenges around all this. So what are the data cultural challenges for an organization and how do they set about implementing a strong data strategy? Yeah, I mean, the cultural challenge for a company, you know, attacking AI and data is, is huge, actually. So often there is no, no sense on the urgency of that. And, um, and the value of that data is, is misunderstood and not, not properly prioritized. And for that, that means um, there may be even a resistance um, of people to, to allow that data to be collected. If you think of a workflow application, for example, that simply tracks what's happening on the shop floor, then this also, of course, relates to an individual. And, and while this is to optimize the production, the individual may not have that interest. So this is a big thing to be very open and very transparent of what you're doing, what you're doing with the data, and and to get the buy-in of the whole organization uh, when you when you set out to such a, a broader strategy. And also, very often, this is a siloed uh, thing where you have these innovation guys and the IoT department or the Industry 4.0 team that are totally on and want to do that, and the rest of the company really doesn't get it. And it's an it's a, a important responsibility of the leadership to make it clear to everybody in the company that we as a company have to adopt the culture of uh, being open with data while protecting privacy, of course, and, um, and to formulate very clear priorities and strategies, um, how, how you do data collection, how do you store it, and how do you extract value from it, and to provide proper investment, for, of course, for that, because it's, uh, it's not free, even though it's now very pay-as-you-go and, and you can use cloud services and get in very cheaply and easily, it compounds, and especially at large scale, it gets expensive, and so a proper strategy is, is required. Bernard, any thoughts on the strategy side? Yes, ab- absolutely, because um, a strong data strategy is an interesting topic because um, what we see, a typical approach is uh, to do data transformation is to initiate a data strategy program, then build up a data warehouse and define how data is applied to it should be structured. So these are typically multi-year projects that define the data models, the data standards, data profiles, and so on you name it. Uh, The objective uh, normally is to make data perfect for the organization's needs, focusing on data quality uh, and, of course, the data transformation's technical aspects. Um, 
You can do this, but uh, what we see from companies who are very successful in building up really strong data strategies is that they always focus on the business value. So organizations uh, that want to become, as I mentioned before, the data-driven company, they have to focus on value. They are looking to create support and, of course, to scale. So your business teams uh, normally need to identify the specific customer value areas and work with data specialists to take really a thin slice approach that cuts across the teams, departments, and systems required to deliver this very, very quickly. So if you do this consequently, you can deliver value in months rather than years. So I think from my point of view, this direction uh, is really a strong data strategy. Months rather than years is what every leader wants <laughs> to hear. And you know, both of you are talking about, you know, um, Christian, you mentioned the rest of the company doesn't get it. You need buy-in from the whole organization. You talk about culture, investment, strategy. These things all come from the top. So I'd love to hear from both of you. You know, How do you start to articulate these benefits to business-oriented leadership who don't understand the technical side? How do you explain the value of this and how some of the things you're talking about really enable the strategic intentions of that company? Yeah, so I think it's straightforward. So the economic benefits um, that you gain by properly implementing data collection um, and data strategies and then applying models to that, AI models that, you know, self-learn and improve a process or a product. This is, I think this is the biggest evolution that is happening for a long time. Um, that we're going to see now in the next years when AI simply gets into anything that we're doing. And you can't be yeah, explicit enough uh, for any business leader um, without understanding the technology that you're not going to be competitive. I, I have a good example on this, uh, by the way. So there is a, there's a startup in Cambridge uh, in, in the UK that essentially developed an AI model that allows them to just a little bit better predict the consumption in the power uh, network and uh, also the production. So, for example, how the weather develops and how much photovoltaic power is produced, uh, same for water. And they're, they're basically trading this know-how difference and are extremely profitable, extremely successful while they are competing with these huge power companies with tens of thousands of people, and they just don't figure it out because they didn't pay enough and proper attention to it. And this would just apply to any sector, to product development, to basically how consumers use the product, engineering, digital twins, um, how, you, how you develop a product. Um, so this, I think, is, is extremely crucial and should be a, a yeah, no-brainer for every business-minded person to understand that if you're not getting on this now and quickly, we're, we're behind. I like how you put that, too. That's a great story. Even just a little bit better, that little edge could mean so much if it's applied correctly. And I totally agree. There isn't a sector out there that couldn't improve a little bit better and get some benefit. Um, you know, Bernard, you're business development you're out there talking to some of these leaders too. You bump into a CEO of a prospect at a conference or on an airplane. How do you explain it to them in business-oriented language? 
Yes, um, I think it's always about the customer. So I think uh, it depends on nearly every discipline. You always should put your customer in the middle of your of your things of the things you're doing. And for example, uh, with data. There, there are so many new use cases now possible, which haven't been uh, possible years before. So um, my advice is also to have a look at the, at, at the customer journey, know what your customers are requesting from you, uh, what you learn through the R&D process, because now you have the data. Because if you connect devices, for example, with IoT, then you also normally get to know how this device is used and maybe uh, how it should not be used. So it's now a complete new understanding of your customer, how he uses your products. And this can take into consideration for new development of new products and, of course, for optimizing the whole customer journey therein. So my advice is uh, to take customer experience seriously, have a look at it, invest it, and also do it in an agile way. What does this mean? Uh, we normally develop not a big thing application and put it on the market. We are developing a digital service around the customer. So we bring new functionality in, test it with the customers together. And if it's okay for them and it resonates on the market, then we try to extend uh, this, this functionality. If this functionality is totally useless because no one uses it and you now have the data because you're connected, then get rid of it and try another uh, another functionality. And this uh, pays off uh, years after because then you get very loyal customers and hopefully much better products than you have now and also have an advantage on your market. And doing some innovative stuff and being the first uh, in your market is always a good thing. I think certainly is. So one last question here as we wrap up, we always like to look forward. So how do both of you see the future of data sharing and company partnership evolving and what needs to be considered from a security perspective? That's an interesting topic because as you know, more and more companies are sharing data now. It's interesting how the future would look like. So from my point of view, every company is growing up its own data stack. So when you compare the respective data, you will find a lot of redundancies. And there is a, a rather new concept called data circles, uh, which, which help to overcome the necessity uh, to do everything by your own. So you can use specialized data circles, for example, where the data quality is very high and you save money, infrastructure, and of course, energy, which is a cool sustainability topic, I think, from my point of view. So if you're really interested in the, into the future of uh, B2B data sharing, you should definitely have a, or put an eye on this data circle uh, concept because I think there's a lot of new also security concepts in because, as you mentioned, security is a big topic. Uh, also, data anonymization is part of this concept, uh, which is very helpful if you develop uh, new products, for example, but you need to have uh, the, the information from whom this information is. So uh, my advice is have a look at this data circle concept uh, if you are interested in the future of uh, data sharing in the B2B sector. Christian, any thoughts on the future? Where do you see it all going? Data sharing will be <laughs> creating a lot of interesting challenges for companies. So, for example, we have one customer who has a data-driven manufacturing platform. He knows every everything about their production lines in real time. 
and they supply a product to their next customer who uses their product to fill it with a liquid, for example. And now this customer that uses this uh, company's products also would like to have that data that the producing company has in order to optimize their process, but also to gain insight into the quality of product. And um, at the same time, the company producing it wants to protect this because it's maybe a key commercial benefit knowing things that the customer does not yet know or you only give him as, as, as less as you just have to. And I think what this example shows is that these whole manufacturing logistics and, and the whole ecosystem, they will all at some point have to share data among, um, among themselves. So when you hand over a product, it's not going to only be the product anymore, but it will be attached to a lot of data points and you have to hand in the data as well because the next process where this product is used requires the data to be more effective. And so data sharing uh, concepts and how to do this may be anonymized or how, how you give access of, to your data to other companies how you share, for example, your data in a larger pool with other companies that even maybe your competitors and the benefit you get is that the pool gets bigger and more clever AI models result from that, which then again benefit you. This is going to be a really interesting um, topic uh, going forward. And security is, of course, um, a major issue here and um, also is hindering a lot because there is some perceived problem with the cloud and my production data into the cloud. I personally think that while this is important and an issue, I don't, I don't think it's really something that companies so totally have to worry about. Exceptions apply for very sensitive lab data or I don't know what. But uh, usually the, the fear is bigger than the real threat on that. And also your own data center that's in your basement where you know, the brother of the cousin also can get in if he wants to. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's not happening in the cloud, for example. Uh, so I'm, I'm not so skeptical on that. There's a lot of security already available. I think the, the data sharing aspect, this will be uh, entertaining for, for us for a long time now because as it's required, as hesitant companies will be with sharing data. It's definitely part of the future. Well, thank you both today so much for, for joining us. Likewise, thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. So thanks again, Christian and Bernard, for joining us today and providing your insight. And also, if you listeners out there want more information on what we've talked about today, please head over to Crate.io. Their website is filled with a lot more stuff on these interesting topics. So for the folks at EM360, until next time, this is Scott Taylor, The Data Whisperer, and thanks for listening.